Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to the Two Scene Podcast. Welcome back to the Two Scene Podcast, the podcast where two aspiring sports journalists sit down and talk baseball. I am your host, Tyler Foy, and alongside me today, once again, and just as always, my wonderful co-host, Nathan Lennon. And Nate, we had a great time, you know, recording the last one, getting yeah. back into it. Yeah. But we seem to have left out fifty percent of the team. <laughs> that is true. It, it was it was great to get back into the swing of things, but uh, we did leave out half of the majors, which I think is a pretty big oversight. I, I don't know how we let that one slip. <laughs> oh, it was planned chaos because <laughs> that episode would have been two hours long. But now we yeah. get to split it up and really go in depth into the National League, which is what today's topic is all about. How heading into September, what the league scope looks like, who is going to make the postseason, who do we believe is going to make the postseason. And overall, over the past four months of baseball, what has happened? Getting into that specifically, we want to start with the West because I think the West is the most interesting place. It it definitely is the most interesting storylines of the season. I, I, I think at the beginning of the season, we all knew that there would be a multitude of contenders in the West with the Dodgers and Padres. Just, I don't think we expected the Giants to return to form this quickly at all. Like, it's it really is a lot of the guys they had before in those old World Series runs just coming back to form and performing well. And it isn't even just that in itself, but the Giants just seem to have come out of nowhere. I mean, I think, like you said, the... The Padres-Dodgers competition at the beginning of the season, that was what the hype was. That was what people believed was going to be the storyline going through this entire season. But the Dodgers, they haven't even been in first place for the most of the season. They've been behind the Giants, which once again, just as you are saying now, it's just they've come out of nowhere because they are performing before the rebuild was complete. Yeah. It's it, it, like we see sometimes like rebuilds had like bear fruit a bit earlier. Like I think may, I think I remember when the Braves first got good again. I was thinking, oh, this rebuild's a little ahead of schedule, and you know that's where and now they are where they are now. But like with the Giants, it feels like a few years early, not just like oh they're they're on track a little faster than we thought. No, this is like where did this come from? And like before- they're they're good way before anyone thought they would be. Right, and before we dive into exactly what is gone right for the Giants, um, we I do want to give like a great synopsis of the league right now, or well, the division specifically. The Giants do lead the National League West with a record of eighty-eight to fifty losses, and that is just once again, it's just something that we did not expect going into the season. I don't believe many people, if anybody, had the Giants taking the division against the World Series champs which those World Series champs do line up at second in the division. 87-51, and 51, only one game behind the Giants, but it is just spectacular that they are even above them at this time. Yeah. The Padres sit 73-64 and 64 after having an abysmal August. They are 14.5 games My back. World Series pick is not looking too hot. No, your World <laughs> Series pick is not looking too hot. But they're not completely out of it just yet. But we'll get into that later in the episode. The Rockies are 63-75. We didn't believe they were going to be that great. But there is one storyline with them, which is their home record. And we'll talk more about that as we get down the order. And the Diamondbacks, who, well, 
have had a very, very... Um, it's been a rough year. It's been a rough year. They're 45 <laughs> and 93, 43 games back out of first place, completely eliminated at this point. They went on one of the longest dry spells of away wins in who knows how long. Yeah. I haven't really looked at that uh, statistic. It was, but. I don't remember the streak either. It was just like never before seen. It was like with the amount of away losing they did. Somehow, they have only one less win than the Rockies do in their away games, even though they had that really long stretch of just absolutely abysmal baseball. But that doesn't take away the fact that they lost something of like 20 in a row yeah. on, the, on the road. I want to say it was 20 in a row. It might have been more. But either way, like it, it could have been 20, it could have been 19, 21, whatever. It still would have been like one of the worst stretches of baseball we've seen in like modern history. It's, it's, it's almost like unfathomable. And moving on from the Diamondbacks, though, we are not here to talk about the worst teams in the league, as though it sometimes is fun to discuss what goes wrong in these organizations. I want to talk about what's going right for the San Francisco Giants. Uh, their pitching has been out of this world this year. I think Kevin Gossman's really uh, come out as a Cy Young candidate. He's 13-5 and five with, uh, I think it was a 2.58 ERA. It's just like the starting pitching's been fantastic. I think what's really been quite shocking is how great their bullpen is. I, of, of their best five pitchers in the bullpen, there's not a single arm that has an ERA above three. They're all below it. It's it's kind of insane. Uh, three whips below one. They've just, it, it's been just amazing bullpen pitching, amazing clutch performances from that group. Yeah, and I think the the best way to describe these giants is revival yeah a lot of these players that were on this organization were considered past prime um you know they're not good anymore they're on the decline they're on the right. very end of their career such Gi- as yeah i think before this season we were we, people have been like oh the giants would just cut their losses trade buster posey trade brandon belt and all that get what they can back johnny cueto yeah. is a guy that's you know he's been on that team for a while I mean, there's a lot of names on there. Evan Longoria, back half of his career, nearing the end, as well as Brandon Crawford, one of the better defensive shortstops that we've seen in the last decade. Right. Obviously, not as good now that he was when he was younger, but that's just the point. The point is that these players who were key pieces of the organization prior have shown that they're not done yet. And I don't think we really see that in a lot yeah. in I mean baseball is a sport where anything random can happen mm. people do sprout but you still don't see that like ever though in any sport like a bunch of like old guys or older guys on these teams suddenly returning to form like in their starting nine there is uh in their current starting nine the Giants have exactly one player who is below the age of 30 and that's Steven Duggar and they're all hitting well I mean Buster Posey is hitting 30 is hitting the average while he's hitting 306 with a 908 OPS like, it's just insane how these guys have just revived a form and have somehow overtaken the team that is just built to repeat World Series after World Series and the Dodgers. And I wonder how much of that is, like, you know, Buster Posey's been on this team for a while, right. and he's obviously an amazing catcher. Everybody mm. knows that about Buster Posey. But I wonder if him being behind the plate has had any, like, this you know, factor of being that kind of guy that can help pitchers like lower the ERA or him calling games, how much that really helps each pitcher on their own. Because, I mean, every single person on that team has just been spectacular this year. It's it's so interesting from that pitching staff. 
that not long ago was just a group of, well, I mean, I would say in baseball terms, they were just a bunch of, they were misfits. Yeah. A bunch. It's so weird because like the names on this roster would tell you that the, that the Giants would have some significant weak points, namely their age. Like the guys wouldn't hit as well or pitch as well. But the amazing thing about the Giants here is despite no, no super significant additions in the offseason, this roster, with the way they're playing, doesn't have a significant weakness. There's nothing you can attack them with. They have the experience, the they have the experience and the production to go all the way. And it isn't even just that. I mean, you mentioned that they didn't do much in the offseason, but they did make a move at the deadline. They acquired Chris Bryant, who for them has been performing uh, pretty well. You know, I mean, maybe not hitting 300 as a giant yet, but I mean, he's come up in big spots and he's a great a guy that has postseason experience. He's still, you know, he's still considered in the prime of his career. You know, he's still an MVP. I mean, he he still is Chris Bryant. Exactly. Know? So they definitely chose this year. They're going all in. They won this. But they're still young in their farm system. There are still people that haven't even really seen the day of light from their system. I mean, it's, it's going to be crazy to see what this team can build, especially when you already have a mega giant yeah. in the Dodgers. Yeah. You're on top of the Dodgers already, and then you have like just uh, bundles of youth that are going to come up later when this foundation that is already World Series contender inevitably does retire, and then you have these guys coming up, they can they can pick up these old Giants slack without missing a beat. Like, it's kind of amazing how far the Giants have come here. Right, and I think some names that I would like to just highlight as people that I enjoy watching on the Giants, uh, one of them being Tyler Rogers, a reliever for the Giants. He's an if you haven't watched him pitch it's something special he has some crazy pitches he throws on a submarine angle it's a rising slider you just don't see that from anybody and it's it's definitely something that is super difficult for hitters to even make contact with and that's definitely been something that they look for i think it's yeah it's kind of insane like i remember watching I, i saw this one pitch of tyler rogers on instagram i forget which one it was it was like I think it was a. I think it was that rising slider. It was just gross to look at. It was. It was astounding, but no. It, I think you're right that there are a bunch of misfits here. That like, if you put these guys on any other team, I don't even know if they would help that much. You know, I mean, all other things equal. I mean, like if I like, I'm sure they would help immediately. Like this se- with the with the foresight with the hindsight of this season, you'd want these guys on your team because they'd help immediately. But like at the beginning of the season. Like, I wouldn't have seen any of the, these guys on the roster and be like, oh, maybe they're a deadline acquisition. Who mm-hmm. knows? Or maybe this can really help get a team over the top. But then you have all these misfits put together. <laughs> and on this team, they just gel so well. And right now, it's one of the best efforts in baseball. I like that idea. I like the idea of the, the Giants being misfits right now. It's a team you want to root for, I feel like. Like, just because of how misfit they are together and the fact that they're currently above the defending champions. I don't know. I like rooting for them. Right. And and obviously, they have multiple pieces that have been there before. Right. You know, World Series champions on that team, whether it was for the Giants or not. Obviously, previously in the last decade, they were a pretty spectacular team when it came to winning championships, but... Well, yeah, but it's 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 nice because but because they haven't been at that point in a while. I feel like it's nice to see them maybe go get try and go get one more, 
especially at the at especially spiting the current defending champs in their division. And I think that is what we got to move on to is the Dodgers. You mentioned that a lot of these guys on the team looking in through the beginning of the season were like, "Well, I wouldn't acquire these guys, or this guys wouldn't be um, deadline acquisitions, right?" Mm. Well, a team that made deadline <laughs> acquisitions is the los angeles dodgers I, and I don't think we have to sit here and tell you why the dodgers <laughs> are performing the way that they are uh you know i mean we went into it before the season even started we discussed about how well put together this team is how many stars they have and why not you know what why not while the trade deadline's going on why not just add two all-stars to it huh trey turner and max scherzer i remember like i forget what i was doing i think i was at work at that point and i take out my phone on on my break and i see that they've acquired max scherzer and trey turner i'm like this is not fair like i just remember being mad about it i was like come on did they did they really need those two max scherzer and trey turner that's, I mean, you're just throwing kerosene on a bonfire at this point. It's just not fair. It's ridiculous in the, in the fact that they just have all these stars on their team. And Max Scherzer just had a wonderful start. He's a Cy Young contender easily. He's, he's had such an amazing season for the Nationals. And then you put him in Dodger blue. And all of a sudden, now he has even more run support to help him calm in these, you know, those situations. Not that he needs it. You know, he's Max Scherzer. <laughs> he's a... Yeah. Um, He's a psychopath in a way, but I mean, he's an insane pitcher. He doesn't. madman. But I mean, I'm sure having the, you know, the feeling that this offense can back you up definitely helps him every single start he goes out there and, you know, puts him in a better mood, especially with the playoff atmosphere looming in you. You know, it just kind of yeah. pushes him to Absolutely. do better. Yeah. They have Trey Turner now, who's one of the most athletic baseball players. I mean, he's he's fast. He's good at defense. He's he's able to get on base. He's a great player. All for not that much to trade for. I mean, people who are deadline were speculating. Okay, Scherzer's going. Scherzer's going. Something's yeah. gonna happen. Everyone was expecting these guy two guys to switch teams, like Trey Turner and Max Scherzer. I don't know if anyone expected them to end up on the same team in the same deal, let alone on the defending champions. Because at that point, you see the Dodgers and they're like, okay, they've spent everything. What, what are they even going to do? And wh- like, where, where like, can we improve? You know? yeah. But I guess as a GM, you're always looking to improve every single position if you can. Right. It's just, it's nonsense. <laughs> it's, it's, I, it's so hard to comprehend all this talent on one team and to not even lead the division. Yeah, all of this like absurd talent. And just, just to add a little more here, Max Scherzer has been otherworldly as a Dodger so far. He's 5-0. and He's undefeated as a starter. He has a 1.05 ERA, a 1.33 FIP, and a .767 WHIP. He is absolutely killing it as a Dodger so far, and they're still not even leading the division. And the idea for acquiring Scherzer was, I, I believe at least, when they looked at the season, they have Walker Buehler, you have Clayton Kershaw, you have Julio Arias, obviously who pitched the last inning of the World Series last year. Those three guys are great pitchers for them already. They add Trevor Bauer to their starting rotation. Now they lose Trevor Bauer midseason to a um, a certain scandal that I don't think we need to dive yeah. too much into. But they lose him for pretty much the rest of the season. They're still like looming in like... He could come back, but I, I don't. It. I don't think that the MLB will allow him to this season. I don't, Whether or not the Dodgers he, even want him back, 
I don't know yeah. if that's I even true. They do have a club option on his contract yeah. that they sign for a one-year thing, so they could probably, um, as some would say, yeah. dump out the trash with that one. <laughs> but, yeah, so they lose Trevor Bauer, and they're thinking to themselves, well, shoot, we acquired this Cy Young, and we want to still have you know, our major rotation as a factor. So why not just acquire a multi-time Cy Young just to pair <laughs> up with Mr. Kershaw yeah. and just have them go back and forth all the time? I mean, it's just, it's insane that they have this rotation. Yeah. In addition to that, I mean, you already have Clayton Kershaw, Trevor Bauer, and I, I mean, this would be assuming Bauer even comes back. You have Bauer, Kershaw, and now Scherzer as Cy Young winners in that rotation. And then Walker Bueller could very well add a Cy Young to his trophy case this year. Very He's well. putting up a Cy Young year. Like it's it, it, like, so at the end of this season, the Dodgers could have four Cy Young winners in their starting rotation. And that's, I did that's have one I, of the most unfair rotations ever. <laughs> yeah. Like in MLB history. Yeah. And I did have Walker Bueller as my Cy Young pick going into the season. So I wouldn't mind seeing that happen either. <laughs> but I mean, we talk so much about the pitching over the last five minutes. Let's not even, we're excluding a major part of their team. <laughs> the in immense offense that this team brings to the table. You mentioned earlier before our show, we were talking about the run differentials right. in the league and how insane the run differential for the Dodgers were, which was... 219. It's the, it's first in the majors by a country mile. I think the next closest was like 145, maybe. It, it, it's just not even remotely fair. And, I mean, and to add to that... As long as we're on uh, deadline acquisitions, Trey Turner's hitting 309 with the Dodgers so far. So it, it everything still comes up Dodgers. Everything comes up Dodgers, and that's even with a season where Mookie Betts, an acquisition for them that is, you know, he's an MVP, he's a really amazing baseball player. He hasn't even had a a great season. He's actually had a pretty down season. Cody Bellinger has had a down year, yet. Somehow, this offense still produces, even with two of their best players, two MVP candidates going into the season, having career lows. Yeah, I will say, they're, but they have so much talent on offense that it really just doesn't matter because you always have guys that can pick up the slack, like Max Muncy, who has uh, 30 home runs, 78 RBIs on the season, an OPS of, nine, of 915. You, you have guys like uh, Will Smith, who are hitting well, 265. He's got, I think, 67 RBIs. You still have these guys who can pick up the slack, even when your headliners like Bellinger and Betts aren't hitting well. Like, there's never, there is never a wanting for talent on this team, a wanting of, like, there isn't a struggle that the that the Dodgers don't just overcome. They just they have solutions to these struggles. Right, and here's a highlight person on this team that you probably might most people probably haven't seen or expected him to have as great of a year this year. AJ Pollock has had a fantastic year in filling in the shoes for Bellinger, especially when he was injured this year. Just being that guy who can get the job done. He's hitting like. Somewhere in the high 290s, yeah, is that correct? Yeah, 297, I think. He's hitting 297, and he's just been outputting so much run support for the, the pitchers, and he's been very good. And when you look at run differential, you have to remember, it's a combination of not just great offense, but also that the fact that the pitchers aren't letting go as many runs. And the team is the most well-rounded team in anybody else in the probably entire baseball, yet they don't lead it. And it's just... It's crazy to talk about that. Yeah. 
I will say the Giants' lead is only for that division is only one game. But if you had told me the Giants were leading, we're going to be leading the NL West in September, in uh, April or March, I would have told you you were full of crap. There's just no way. But yeah. here we are, even with all of this talent, even with all of these things coming up, Dodgers, they're still somehow not leading this division. And they're not leading this division. In fact, they're in second. And I think we have to move to the Padres, who we thought, well, most people thought would be second in this division. Here they're sitting at third with 14.5 games out of first place and really just only contending for that wild card position. And what a fall from grace they were. I mean, Fernando Tatis does get injured in this whole ordeal over over the course of like the last two months. But the starting pitching has been... We talk about the starting pitching for the Giants and the Dodgers. They're spectacular. They're getting the job done when they need to. And the Padres just failed time and time again to close the door or even start the games on the right foot. Right. It's a story of poor starts and poor finishes for the Padres when we're talking about their absolutely pitiful August. But that's also not including that they have been dealing with injuries all year. I think Tatis Jr., he's... Fernando Tatis is having, I think, an MVP season this year for the Padres, and they're still uh, barely afloat at this race. At this rate, like I think they'll they will probably take a wild card spot just because they have the talent to and teams in other divisions and the only real contenders in other divisions, like the Phillies and Reds. I don't think can keep up with them, but it is it is a bit stunning to see that all the talent the Padres had at the beginning of the season, and I also think it's worth noting they were in form. Until August, I think they looked like how we expected them to, just a bit sluggish in that sense. But I, I think August is really where the bottom fell out. The bullpen has not been great. I think starting games like they they often get out to early deficits or late de- or can't close big leads. So it's just it's just been tough for them. And when you go back to the beginning of the season, they were a team that acquired so many different pitchers for their team. I mean, they got Joe Musgrove, they got Blake Snell. Right. They come out and they go and swing for all these players to get you Darvish as well. I mean, they acquire so many people that are going to help their starting pitching core because they know that's what they need for their team to be successful. And just to see it work for a short period of time. Blake Snell really never worked, but work for a short period of time and then fall off. is just sort of demoralizing. I feel like if you're a player on that team, like, yes, you still have the chance and you still have an amazing roster and you need to be in the right mental state for the rest of the season. But I can see how certain players in that locker room would sort of maybe question whether or not they were overperforming to start the season. Yeah, I don't think they were overperforming. I feel like they were underperforming then, because or underperforming in August, or at least now, because they do have all of that talent, or at least what should be talent on this roster. Like, I, I like, I mean, we were all calling them the champions of the offseason. I mean, they got, like you said, they got Joe Musgrove, Hugh Darvish, and Blake Snell in the offseason, where really only Musgrove has panned out so far. Musgrove's been the starter they needed. He's been 10-8, and 2.87 ERA. 2.87 ERA. But you Darvish, thirty-four. He is thirty-four. I mean, his. I mean, he was going to start declining eventually. But then you have Blake Snell, who just has not panned out at all. I. I, I don't know if he's been injured or anything. He's. I think seven and five, four point three one ERA. He just hasn't. He just hasn't panned out, and which is unfortunate because they did give up quite a haul to the Rays to get him. 
But it's not. It, it isn't like a total disaster for the Padres this year. It's just like the stuff they needed to break right for them to really make it through to the World Series just didn't. It's all broken the wrong way. I feel like. And they were another team in competition for Max Scherzer. Right. You know, he obviously ends up going to the rival team in the division. But at the time, he was even announced online on Twitter that Max Scherzer has been traded to the Padres. I, I think everybody saw that tweet yeah. and was like, wow. Oh, yeah. That was the other thing was that Dodgers trade was at the ele- the amazing thing about that Dodgers trade was it was at the absolute 11th hour. Because I remember seeing like the like the. Uh, Scherzer to the Padres deal was basically done. And I was like, all right, well, shoot, that should help them. Uh, I was thinking, oh, that should help them a little bit. It's not that bad. But then when I see it, like, I, I check my phone later, and then the Dodgers have acquired it. I'm like, what is this? How did this happen? How did this happen? <laughs> Along with losing that um, that arm that they could have had on their team, yeah. I do want to mention that, like, we talked about at the beginning of the season how they got all these starting pitchers for the rotation. But they also acquired one of the better closers that we've seen in the National League this year, Mark Melanson, to really, you know, hold down the back of the four. And he's done pretty well. He's done well. Yeah. He's done pretty good back there. They have a couple guys in the rotation like Stammen. He's been exceptional this year. He has an interesting statistic that in the one pitching in the sixth inning specifically he has a 0.83 ERA with a minimum of 20 innings pitched, of course. He's the best pitcher in the sixth inning. Joe Musgrove, in fact, is the best pitcher in the fourth inning in where he only has a 0.35 ERA when pitching in the fourth inning. Just some interesting statistics to bring out. Of course, they mean very little in the grand scheme of things. Right. But... Apparently, when Chris Stammen's in the sixth <laughs> inning, you better watch out because yeah. you're probably not going to score any runs. Yeah, you're just going to sit there and whiff the whole time. But see, that's that's where the solution obviously lies for the Padres is just play all of these guys in the right innings, and then they can't possibly of lose. Of course, they can't possibly <laughs> lose. We have spent yeah. a considerable amount of time on the Amer- or the National League West here. Right. And as much as we, I would love to dive into the Padres in their downfall because it's so unexpected once again i think it's it stems from pitching that is the major factor the major takeaway from the padres their pitching fell apart and to put it back together they're going to need a full effort here in september but if they keep falling at this rate they're not going to be a huge playoff contender going forward yeah i mean if they don't heat up a little bit i mean the reds or god forbid the phillies could take their spot which would be not ideal that would be not ideal to a Mets fan like Nathan over here. But we do need to move on from the West, going to the NL Central, a division that, kind of like the American League Central, is non-competitive in terms of the top leader. The Brewers do lead the division with a record of 84-55, and with an interesting away-to-home record. They are much better playing on the road than they are playing in Miller Park. But the Reds, in fact, are second in the division, which not everybody had. I don't think many people had the Reds sitting second in this division. At 73 wins, 66 losses, 11 games back off of first place. Going to take a lot to get up there if it even is possible for them. But they're sitting in a good spot to make that wildcard game. The Cardinals are 69 and 67, 13.5 games out. They have been 
interesting to say the least. You know, they go out, they acquire guys like Nolan Arenado, and you think they're going to do better, but here they are sitting just above 500. The Cubs sold their entire team, which we'll talk about in more depth as we get down the line, but they are 64 and 75, 20 games out of first place. And the Pirates, which we all knew were going to be bad, maybe they we, are bad. Maybe we thought they were <laughs> going to be even worse, maybe a little Baltimore Orioles situation, but they're 49 and 89, 34.5 games back. And, you know, they're the Pirates. What can we yeah. say? I mean, we all knew where they were going to be bad. I, I think maybe they've been... I think Tyler's right. I think maybe they've been a tiny bit better than we were thinking. Especially early in the year. <laughs> Literally but, the smallest... Especially early league. in the year, but not now. Like, now it's just what we expected. They're, they've been very bad, but moving... We can't just talk about the Pirates being bad. Although, I think a comedic episode to have would be just talking about the... <laughs> all the, the Pirates, all the bad teams, really. All of the, all all the, the teams, teams. All the teams that have shown us no reason to root for them next season. But a team that you should be rooting for and a team that you should be looking out for is the Brewers. Leading this division, I had the Brewers leading this division going into uh, October. I said they were going to win the division. Here they are sitting at the top. I believe you had the Cardinals. I did have the Cardinals. To be fair, they had the talent. I just didn't think it would fall through this much. Or at least that the Brewers would be nearly as good as they are. Well, one thing that hurt the Cardinals definitely was Jack Flaherty being a little on and off this season with right. injury. But the but that's a thing that the Cardinals do lack is that pitching. While the Brewers, on the other hand... They have pitching in bunches. It's, it, it's, um, it's a little nuts. I, I think Corbin Burns, uh, Brandon Woodruff have been the two uh, aces this year for the Brewers. Uh, both ERAs under 2.5. Both they, the they, Cy Young yeah, contenders. Both Cy Young contenders. Yeah, the Brewers are blessed with two Cy Young contenders this year. Both of them have been uh, nearly perfect this year. It, it's it, It's been what's carried them this far because the hitting for the Brewers is just, has been, at best, just okay. Well, you're leaving out but, somebody very, very special to them as well. Freddy Peralta right. has had an insane season for a guy that maybe not have, maybe did not have as much of hype going into the season. I think he gets forgotten in this rotation how good Freddy Peralta is. When you're behind two Cy Young candidates in the rotation, you get Woodruff one day. I mean, imagine a three-game series. You get Woodruff one day, you get Burns the next day, and then Freddie Peralta just to finish out the series. It's going to be something interesting, whoever does have that opportunity to face them. It's that rotation that really makes makes me think, okay, this team is a sleeper to go far in the postseason. Because, like, I I don't think in the – I feel like all the playoff teams in the NL are going to want to avoid the Brewers – just because they have such a deadly rotation that I don't know, especially in the NLDS, I don't know a team that can survive a five-game series against them outside of the Dodgers. And even if it goes to a game four and say you can't start Woodruff game four, you put Adrian Hauser out there, and that guy has also had a pretty solid season as a fourth guy in that rotation. And, you know, he's... By the way, I went to a game in Miami where he was on the mound versus the Marlins, and... He hit a home run that day. Apparently, it was his second one of the season. So big on him, I guess he got a bat. he's got a bat. You better yeah. watch out. Pitchers who rake. Adrian Hauser, Eric <laughs> Lauer uh, rounds out that rotation. He's been okay. I mean, he's a fit starter. What? How much are you gonna expect from? They've actually bounced around from having Eric Lauer and also Brett Anderson be that guy with Brett Anderson going on injury. But they're both been fit starters. I think they what you expect. You don't expect the guy to get a huge amount of wins. You hope that he gets. A decent amount of wins 
but you know they've they've been okay. Right. But the bullpen is another spot that you got to talk about. I mean, right. J- Josh Hader, of course, yeah. one of the better. Some would consider one of the best lefties just due to his arm angle, the speed that he throws at, and how electric his stuff is being your closer, shutting down games day in, day out, getting the job done. Devin Williams is a guy that if you haven't watched live or you haven't watched him on on whatever broadcast the Brewers are on, he has some of the craziest movement on pitches. It's mm. it's pretty fun to watch if yeah. you haven't seen Devin Williams. Nate, who are a couple of guys in this bullpen that you really see stick out? I don't know. I I think I think it's a bit surprising, but Hunter Strickland has been pretty solid for. I, I don't know how much he's played so far for the uh, Brewers, but he has been pretty solid so far with the 1.26 ERA, 0.872 WHIP. Uh, it's just a yet another arm in this bullpen and in this just entire pitching staff that you just dread. See- it's just been another arm that you dread seeing on the Brewers. Because I don't think there is a pitcher on this roster that you'd be like, okay, this is a break. I, I Like I, I, another manager going up against the Brewers, they send in an arm from the bullpen. I don't think there's a manager in the league that sees any pitcher on this roster and thinks, okay, good, a break. Maybe we can score some runs here. Like I, the I think the best thing about the Brewers' rotation is that no matter what, the I, I think the opposing team is always going to have to be on their toes and play exactly right. And yes, pitching is their strong suit, and it's what really has led them to be on top of this division and have a season that they are having. But the offense, to me, still lacks. No, the hitting for the Brewers has been, I think, okay at best. I mean, you don't really have many guys in that ro- in, on that roster who are hitting well right now. I think it's been okay because it's obviously been enough to keep them afloat. And I don't think they're towards the bottom of the barrel in terms of hitting. But it's, it's something you're definitely going to want to worry about in the playoffs. Because all these other teams are going to have guys that can hit. Like, I, I think the team's best hitter right now is Willie Adonis, I think 240, 294. And you got guys like Omar Navarez and Colton Wong have been hitting decently well. But beyond that, it, there is the hitting here leaves a lot to be desired. And that includes former MVP Christian Yelich, who hasn't really hit well. And the depth, which, I, I mean, they did acquire Rowdy Telez, but he hasn't been, I mean, he hasn't been bad for the Brewers. He just hasn't In fact, he had a walk-off great. home run, I believe. And, and that already yeah. is equal to one win per trade, right? <laughs> so I guess you <laughs> get a win get there. They did get one win off of it, at least. Which, that's good. But if he's not going to hit better, then I don't know how much of an impact he's going to have come playoff time. But uh, the hitting here has just been okay. It's been enough to keep the Brewers afloat, but in the postseason, they are definitely going to need more. Yeah, and they got Eduardo Escobar at the deadline, and he's he's been good for them. He's been pretty decent for them, being a good bat in their lineup that can get production done. And you mentioned Omar Nevarez, but I think we have to put emphasis that who saw Omar Nevarez being such a great hitter yeah. for this team? I mean, having a hitting a good hitting catcher, it just doesn't happen enough in the MLB these days. Most people put a lot of emphasis on the whole defensive part of catching, which is a major aspect of it. But Omar Narvaez is able to go out there and hit 287 when he needs to. And he's been really good for them. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I think you've got, like, you had, you've had guys here that have stepped up in, in, in uh, specific instances. Like, I, rem- I, I think there was a period of time, I remember, earlier in the season where Yelich was hitting well. Like, I remember seeing it. Like, he had a nice stretch. But then they cool off. I, I, and and they're, some of their hitting acquisition, their acquisitions 
have been good except for hitting. Like Jackie Bradley Jr. is hitting a pitiful 169. Right. I mean, that's not in not as many at bat in plate appearances, but it's still not great. Like you like, there, but their acquisitions were never about hitting. It was about defense, strengthening what was already strengths, like pitching and defense. Uh, I think that's that that's right on the money. There, they're a great defensive team. That's what they build themselves off of, and they pride themselves of having one of the better defenses in the league. But the hitting needs to improve if they're going to want to succeed in October, and that's got to be the storyline through September to see how if they do improve, if they do make changes, and what happens with their September. But right. I think more teams that are going to have interesting Septembers are the Reds. I want to talk about the Reds. I think we do got to start speeding it up a little bit. <laughs> so if we don't acknowledge something about one of these uh, teams in the NL Central, I apologize if we miss anything major. But the Reds have been spectacular on offense. And I think people might have known Castellanos was a really good offensive hitter. Winker was going to be decent. But I think there's a lot of people on this roster that nobody saw was going to have a season that they did or perform up to the standards that they have been up to now. Yeah, I, it's it's been interesting. The hitting has been really good for the Reds. I, I think you have a solid lineup all around here. Jonathan India is making, a, I think, a rookie Woo! of the year case. I love that uh, guy. Joey Votto has been hitting really well. Back to At age 37, he's hitting uh, 268, with 80, leading the team in RBIs with 85. Had one of the most so. insane home run streaks this <laughs> of, you know, the, of yeah. baseball history, really. Yeah, he's been, yeah, Joey Votto's been revived back to form. Nick Castellanos has been hitting well, as always, even if he was, I will say, underappreciated before. Jesse Winker has really emerged as a great hitter. I think this, I don't, this lineup doesn't lack for hitting outside of maybe Eugenio Suarez, but it, it, it's been, it's definitely been the strength all year for the Reds. The, the depth has been, the depth hitting has been okay, not great, but it's definitely been enough to keep them afloat. Yeah, and I thought Eugenio Suarez was going to have a good season going into it, but apparently I was completely wrong with that take. He's been pretty bad, but everybody else on this team has picked them up. I mean, here's the fun statistic. St- Tucker Barnhart is their starting catcher. He has a batting average of two sixty nine, and on days that he's not pitching for them or catching for them, Tyler Stevenson, who's their backup catcher, he's hitting two eighty four. He's had some pretty big moments as well. So, I mean... No matter who's catching on any given day, you better expect that guy to hit because they can. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, there's. I, I think if anything is going to carry the Reds to the postseason here, their bats are just going to have to somehow get even hotter because I don't. The pitching isn't atrocious or anything. It had. It's not amazing, but it's a. It's it's a. It's definitely enough to keep them afloat. But it's not what's going to get them into the postseason over the likes of teams competing for that wild card spot like the Padres or the Phillies. Well, we'll have to see. I, I think the Reds yeah. got a serious chance here. I do too. Going it's just about that, it. like it's just that I'm saying like the pitching won't be what gets them there. It'll I mean, they're sitting. The they're sitting pretty at second yeah. spot here. Uh, but I don't know. I, I feel like they got a real good shot to make it over other teams in the division, other teams in the league. The Mets haven't shown any promise to me to say that. Oh wow, the Mets are gonna make it. No, or the Phillies, the Phillies though, they have a real good shot of mixing it up here. But the Padres, you know, they sit there once again in that wild card position. But I don't know if they're going to hold it. They've, I don't know what the schedules look like for the rest of the season. But there's a good shot that they they fall out of here. I mean, the considering the divisions they play in, 
Uh, I, I would. I feel like at this point, well, I'd still take the Padres to make the playoffs just because I think they have the talent to go there more so than any other team in the hunt right now. But if any team was going to take that spot, I think it'd be the Reds just because of, I think, the surprise, a bit of a surprising season they've had. They have performed amazingly on offense. Their pitching has been questionable. Why is Wade Miley doing as well as he is? <laughs> I mean, I couldn't tell you that. He pitched just a no-hitter, though, this year. And he's been very, very good for them in that starting five. They have other names like Luis Castillo, who hasn't had the season that he maybe not a great predicted season. to have yeah. but he's still having a decent year he's not it's, having a terrible year it's Luis Castillo's season has been I think at best all right he is his win-loss record is I think I don't know how telling it is of his performances this year he is 7 and 15 but he still does have I think the talent to do better like he like he he's his ERA isn't great and his whip is his whip and fip are not amazing but you still think like he can pick it up at some point. Also, I, I think the pitching, I, I think yeah. the just pitching in general, just hasn't really been there for the Reds, especially the bullpen. They have one of the worst bullpens in baseball. Yeah, that's for sure. I, I like you've got three starter, you've got three guys in the bullpen here, just of their top five, that have ERAs uh, above five and a five point five, which is just not where you want to be. Like, not you, where you want to yeah, be. Yeah, especially for a team that's thinking playoffs. You you cannot. In any way, win a play, win even a playoff game with a bullpen that's that bad. I mean, when your best reliever is Sean Doolittle, I I really don't know how you're like gonna go far in the playoffs. Should you make it there? Mm-hmm. Right, and I think that is going to be the massive part for the Reds here going into September. Can they figure out their bullpen? No, I don't believe they will. Yeah. I believe that bullpen will just continue to sit in their own mess and be as atrocious as they already are. I don't think there's... They've given me no reason to think they're going to turn that thing around. But as long as their hitters are hidden, like, late in games, I guess, I mean, they can yeah. save themselves from having those terrible losses. I mean, I think the thing is, uh, they just need to have... I, I feel like they need some stuff around the league to break right for them to make the playoffs, mm-hmm. or to at least make it far. Right. And I say... and. Like, I will say that's a kind of a double because when bad things happen around the league, Nick Castellanos just kind of magically does well. He is a magical but... <laughs> player. He's been a part of some magical yeah. moments uh, that have gone viral. Yeah. Uh, some fights, some uh, special he... home runs and special timing. <laughs> he's but... been he's been a very fascinating player. Absolutely. But I think we got to move on. We have to move yeah. on to the Cardinals and the Cubs. I think we can talk about them sort of in a package deal right. here. The Cardinals haven't had the season that I expected to. It's been to, a bit underwhelming. But hey, they're not out of this competition yet. They're still running for that wild card race. They really could make that last wild card, but I think it would take even more things for them to break right than the Reds. Like, Well, they, the Reds are 3-7 and seven in right. their last 10 games. They that are is cold. something that you have to take into account as we push the forward Cardinals, in September. The Cardinals aren't that hot either. I think they're 5-5 five and five in their last 10, and 500 ball at this rate doesn't get them into the playoffs like over the Padres or the Reds, I don't think. I think it's, it's going to come down to the series against each other, whether yeah. or not one of those teams make it, which there is a scenario where both those teams don't even have a shot at the wild card. Yeah. So If the Padres just heat up, it doesn't really matter. But uh, if they don't, which it looks like they might not, it could come down to that final series against each other, which would make for some pretty exciting baseball, I think. I don't even know if there's really anybody on the Cardinals worth really 
I mean, they've gotten names and they have people that perform. You know, Arenado's been there for most of the season being that great lineup or great guy in the lineup that can really get spark something going. He's for been them, what they but... traded for, which is Nolan Arenado, one of the best third basemen in baseball. But beyond that, I think the rest of the lineup has been, if not a little disappointing. I mean, Paul Goldschmidt has uh, at least, av- yeah, Paul Goldschmidt's been usual, like great Paul Goldschmidt. He's hitting well. His, he's got the production to back it up. Uh, the rest of the lineup has not been great. It's, Harrison Bader has been just okay. Uh, Dylan Carlson, the same is Dylan Carlson. I'd say is about the same, if not a little better. But yeah, it's 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 for a hitting lineup that looked great going into the season and needed to be great. They've been just okay, which does not spell postseason for the Cardinals. I don't believe they got postseason potential. I, I think that this team, even if it did make it in the postseason first round exit, yeah. easily yeah. they wouldn't win. They lose in the wild card round to the. What, I mean, I feel like whatever team makes that second wild card is just going to get walloped by the Dodgers, which is unfortunate. But I feel like of the teams in contention, the Cardinals would have probably the worst chance, outside of maybe the Mets having a fever dream of making that spot. It is true. I mean, we we talk about the wild card spot so often in this episode. But the Dodgers are probably just going to yeah. win the game. But, hey, it's baseball. It is <laughs> Anything baseball. could happen, but... It's these, a one-game playoff. Right. Anything could happen, but these are the Dodgers we're talking about. Right. And the Cubs... Uh, we don't need to deal, deal too much into the Cubs, but they did sell their entire team names like yeah. Javier Baez. Um, Everyone's gone. Javi Baez, Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, all gone. Craig Kimbrell, right. gone. I mean, anybody that you really thought was spectacular on that team or part of that core, that core curse-breaking lineup is pretty much gone. I mean, you still yeah. got Wilson Contreras. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Woo! but you got Wilson Contreras. That's cool, but he's probably going to be gone in the offseason, too, at this rate. Like, at- in the offseason, they're probably going to deal him, which is uh, unfortunate for Cubs fans, but at the same time, I feel like this rebuild, at least definitely after last year, was a good bit coming. Just because I think the, uh, that core was getting up there a bit in age, and they weren't producing as much as they used to with a tougher division like the Brewers and Reds emerging up with the Brewers and Reds emerging onto the scene, it just wasn't going to be. It just wasn't going to happen anymore for the Cubs. So blowing it up does make sense. They did blow up the lineup, and some teams have truly benefited, just like the Giants, just like the Yankees. But one team that might not have benefited from it is the New York Mets. So why don't we dive right into that NL oh, least. The, NL the worst least. division in this league. The National League East has the Braves sitting at the top of it, which I yeah. had going into the season they would win the division. So did I, but not like this, you know. They are 72 <laughs> and 64 leading the division, as I mentioned. The Phillies are 71 and 66 sitting at second place in the division only 1.5 games back the mets are four games back and have a record of 69 69 playing perfect 500 baseball as of late though they have won seven out of their last 10 so you know things are looking up for them the marlins are 57 and 80 i believe we thought they were going to be pretty darn bad this season and lo and behold they were and one team that sold, sold, sold their team, the Nationals, getting rid of three key foundational players for their lineup, are now right. 57 and 80 as well, sitting 15.5 games back out of first place. Right. 
I think to just to dive right in with the Braves, I I think well first a little perspective. Both wild card team, both the uh, all the Reds and Padres right now would both be leading the NL East. With that, just for some perspective on how truly awful this division has been. Just jumping right in on the Braves though, I think we both did have them leading this division, but you know not like this because they. I think I thought it was over for them when they lost. Uh, Ronald Acuna mid-season like he tore his ACL that's that's it they're done I mean I don't know how in this division with because I will say the Mets and Phillies are certainly talented I didn't think they'd have the manpower to stay afloat and win the division but I mean they're only a game and a half ahead of it but hey here they are injuries riddling them I mean injuries have also riddled them before the season they were missing key starters for the rotation but with a record of 72 and 64, they somehow find the top yeah. of this division. I mean, they're not a spectacular baseball team. You know, obviously losing Acuna was huge for them. But right. with Dansby Swanson having his moments, Freddie yeah. Freeman's not even having a good year. He's having a down year, and yeah. they still are finding ways he's to still perform. doing well. The Oz- Ozzie Albies, he's been pretty spectacular. In fact, yeah. he just recently was on a three-game home run streak. For the Atlanta Braves. Austin Riley, I think is worth noting, is 87 RBI and is uh, leading the team in batting average at 305. He's kind of come onto the scene now to be another premier hitter in this lineup. And you have, and it's just been an interesting year for the Braves. I mean, they lose I, it, it Marcelo like, Zuna. Oh, it feels like, yeah, they lost Marcelo Zuna too. It feels like so much has broken in the wrong direction for the Braves, but it really doesn't matter with how much they've just kind of trudged on here and also with how much this division has just fallen on its face. A team, though, that isn't falling on its face, and in fact is on the rise right now, is the second place Philadelphia Phillies. They're, I, they're finally making all of that money worth it by being above 500 this late into the year. I think that's kind of nuts that it took them uh, spending this much on player salary. I think it was like $500 million over two years, and now they're finally in playoff contention. With, Instead of just of being course. middling around this time of year. It's right. a little nuts. With, of course, a Cy Young candidate and an MVP candidate in Zach Wheeler and Bryce Harper, respectively. I don't. I didn't see Bryce Harper being an MVP Neither contention this year. I, it feels like he just kind of comes out every few years, has an MVP season, and then is just good for those years in between. But this is one of those years for Bryce Harper. He's been pretty fantastic. Uh, Zach Wheeler, you're absolutely right, is a Cy Young candidate. God, I wish the Mets kept him, but that's okay. Uh, Alec Bohm has uh, not been the best this year. He's uh, rounded down a little bit, but you still have guys in that lineup that are hitting well. JT Realmuto is 265. He, he, with a, he, he, I think he's had a bit of a down year too. Reese Hoskins has been hurt a lot. They, they've... Uh, they've done enough. The hitting has done enough to still be good, though, and, and stay alive. Uh, the pitching is the pitching's really been anchored by Zach Wheeler, just being the transcendent starter they really needed. Aaron Nola has been pretty. Aaron Nola's had a bit of a down year, but he's still Aaron Nola, and he's still going to have those days where he can really just knock you out. Their bullpen has finally become decent after two straight years of being utter garbage. Hector Neris still isn't the best, but you've got guys like you've got guys like Ranger Suarez in there and Archie Bradley, who have been surprisingly good this year. 
Like some like the some of their lower level bullpen acquisitions have paid off, which I don't think I saw coming. And especially since we went into the season saying, "Oh, this bullpen's terrible. This yeah. bullpen." It was it, it was, was the second worst in MLB history last year. I I, I think it, even though it was only sixty games, I think it registered as the second worst ever last year. I mean, it was it was atrocious, and here they are sitting with a better chance because their bullpen picked it up. And I think it just goes to show how much certain parts of the team that might be undervalued in the eyes of a common, you know, a casual <laughs> viewer of the sport. But when you really get into it, the bullpen is so important. Yeah. But yeah, no, I think the biggest thing to illustrate the uh, importance of a bullpen, of a good bullpen here, would be the fact that the Phillies to, of last year and a year and the year before that were not in this position, despite having a similar amount of uh, batting talent before. They were nowhere near this position with with bad bullpens but now finally having shorted up at least a little bit they're in a position to either win the division or possibly take that second wild card spot away from either maybe the reds or the padres yeah and i think they have a real good shot i mean once again all three of those teams we mentioned for that second wild card spot which is weird to even say it's a second wild card spot because of just how good the giants dodgers are right. and you it know feel, you don't even it, think you yeah. don't even think that there's only one spot really available yeah, you think, it feels like a first wild card spot because the dodgers are just so good but yeah like, it's the padres it's the reds it's the cardinals it's the phillies and some would say maybe the Mets. If they get their act together, maybe. I mean, it could even be the Braves because they're only yeah. 1.5 games back yeah. off the of the The division Braves, is but... tight, but I'm not... It's it's whatever. With the Mets, just everything that, ha- that could have gone wrong for them did in a classic Met fashion. The hitting, I, I don't even know if I need to start. I, we talked about how it wasn't great in May. Or in April, in late April, early May, and it's not great now. It's terrible. It's bottom. It's bottom of the barrel hitting. So many of the guys that were supposed to hit well this year, like Lindor, like Dom Smith, like I mean, hell, even Javi Baez at the deadline, supposed to be hitting help, just haven't. In Javi Baez's defense, ever since the whole thumbs down incident, he's been hitting. I think it was three nineteen, but it's it's just hard as a fan it's just hard to watch the Mets at this point I remember like when they were really going through that collapse that huge stretch of games against the Dodgers and Giants I just didn't want to watch them because I wasn't going to waste my energy watching a team get their butts kicked I think in that stretch they went one in 12 which yeah it's the Giants and it's the Dodgers but I don't really care how good those teams are you don't go one in 12 no team goes one in 12 in that stretch not even bad teams they maybe take up another game or two against even against the best teams it just doesn't feel possible with how much the Mets have underperformed and I think it's fair to you know remind people that just like any other Mets season it's been plagued by injuries oh yeah no everyone's been hurt there I think there's been a point this season where pretty much every critical player every critical juncture there's been someone hurt Jacob deGrom I don't think our our best player arguably the best player in baseball has not played since I think it was June or July. Uh, I will say the one semi-consistent bat for the Mets this year has been Pete Alonso. He's not hitting the average well, but he was also not really a hitter that aims for that. He's had 30 home runs, 81 RBIs. He's been standard Pete Alonso, and I'm very happy about that. But James McCann has not been hitting well. Jeff McNeil has not been hitting well. Francisco Lindor... 
he's still the second best player on the team, to, even with the fact that he's hitting 227 and has not been great at the plate this year. He's still been every bit of Francisco Lindor in the infield. And with his genuinely absurd defensive skills, it's otherworldly. It's an otherworldly privilege getting to watch him play defense because he's just, it's just unfair. He genuinely swallows a huge, he genuinely swallows his portion of the infield. And he's still, and even not hitting well, he's still easily the second best player on the team. And he still gets treated like crap by the fans, which I don't think is fair. But that's just how it goes sometimes. The hitting has just not been there. The pitching for the Mets has been the strength all year. It's, even with all of the injuries, it's still been pretty good. Marcus Stroman has stepped in and has been a really solid number two for the Mets, even if lately he hasn't been the, he hasn't been the best. Taiwan Walker had an all-star appearance. And for Taiwan Walker was another really great surprise in the pitching staff for the Mets, having an all-star appearance, even if it was as an injury replacement. But since the all-star break, he has not performed as well at all. He now has a losing record. Edwin Diaz has been... There's really no other way to say it than Edwin Diaz. He has been just interesting, I guess. It's like he is the streakiest closer I have ever seen. He There will be some games where you send him in and there's not a prayer that a batter is going to hit anything off of him. But other games where you just send him in. Like the Mets blew a nine-run lead to the Nationals. They, they still won. I just want to say that. They still won. The Mets blew a 9-0 lead to the Nationals in the first game of a doubleheader the other night. And I I just couldn't even handle it. Like, I looked, I, I, I was watching a bit of the game. I saw it was a 9-0 blowout. And I was like, okay, they've got this. The Nationals are openly tanking, right? I turn off the TV. I, I do some homework. I get, I look at my phone a bit later and see that it's 9-9. And I'm like, what the hell happened? Like, this is, it's just... It's been the story all year for the Mets, and this is, and just to preface this, this has all been the on the field drama. This is all on the field. The Mets have had a litany of traditional Met off the field drama that's just makes me embarrassed to be a fan. I think, I mean, just recently, off the top of my head, Zach Scott, Team GM, got caught with a DUI sleeping in his car, I think the next morning. Like, just hire someone responsible for once. Like, I, I just don't get it. Like, it's it, it can't be this hard to vet GM candidates. Uh, well, when your owner's tweeting yeah. about the team and just talking about how negative it is, I mean, first off, your owner on Twitter shouldn't be really bashing the team. <laughs> but I guess he owns yeah. the team, so I guess it's fairness. He, he owns the team. He grew up as a fan. I, I get it. I don't know how much I agree with it, especially because, there. I mean, like, his play, the players are already going to know those thoughts like what he's thinking because i'm sure steve cohen is the kind of owner that goes into the locker room and is like okay this is what we need to do i'm as the owner i'm a little disappointed blah 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 but like just keep keep making it public like that just almost doesn't seem fair but that's there's so much more with the mets it's just been awful like there was i mean between the jared porter stuff uh steve cohen i think took a break from twitter at some point because of Mets fans just being awful it's just been one of those years for the Mets which is really just every year it, it just the misery just doesn't end they're 500 now but with what they were projected to be this season that is just totally unacceptable 
And that, folks, was everybody's favorite segment of mm. the Two Scene Podcast. The part where Nate just absolutely destroys the Mets and talks about how much he dislikes being a Mets fan. It's not fun. This is this life chose me. I didn't choose it. But I will say a few more things. Uh, Javi Baez, I I do want. I really think he should be on the team next year. No, I think I I think his hitting slump will end. I think he'll be fine. I think I think the, he's always been a bit a bit overrated as a player. He, he is, gets a lot oh. of overhype, and then now he doesn't perform when he isn't in Chicago. You know, he's not for making those star athletic defensive reels that you he's can just throw on, on Instagram. He's saved runs and games for the Mets on defense. I think he's been fine on defense. On offense, I think we'd all like to see a little more. But he hasn't been the worst. He's been I mean, any well. guy that makes He's been him- hitting well since the thumbs down incident, which, by the way, I think is the dumbest thing ever. I think it's totally fine that they're that Lindor and Baez, who are best buddies, by the way, are doing the thumbs down thing, especially when Mets fans have treated them like nothing but crap since they've come here. But it's never a good idea to make a public enemy of yourself when you're playing for the damn team. Right. But at the same time, in the same breath that Mets fans have the right to boo them, I think that they're well within their rights to express the fact that they don't like that they haven't been treated well. Like... I get they're being paid many millions of dollars to come play for the Mets, but at the same time, I, I think that they, even even in the worst of slumps, I think good players, good people, deserve to be treated with some class. And I think Which, that's fair. Yeah. I think that's fair. It's just, I do, I, I, I don't believe that they should have done it in the first place, and I, I but I think running with it. Yeah. Would have been a better idea. I li- I like the idea of them running with it. Like just like every t- like that just becomes maybe they he like the optimist in me, it, however small he is, is just like oh maybe they maybe they get hot maybe they run with this thumbs down celebration and it's kind of like like uh, this icon of this season like they make some run and th- down the stretch they're doing the thumbs down whenever they get a big hit the crowd goes wild but that's. That's a pipe dream. That's not going to happen because this team is not good. They've been injured to hell. It's just not... It's just not... I doubt it's even feasible for them to make the playoffs at this point. Uh-huh. Their division isn't... The division isn't great, but at the same time, you've got other teams that I think are much better at this rate that deserved it, that, that are going to make the run better than the Mets. And yeah, let's talk about that. To finish out this episode, how do we envision this league will look at the end of September. I think the Braves and the Phillies, obviously they're going to go back and forth here coming towards the end of the line. The Phillies are hot. The Braves are starting to get a little cold. Could the Phillies take the division? That leaves me a little... I I don't... I think they have enough star power to actually overtake the Braves with the Braves being so injured and so hurt. I think the Braves are getting a little bit on a streak here with the teams that they've been playing against. But I do believe the Phillies actually might edge them out in this division. I don't think so. I think the Phillies definitely have the talent. And while they are hot, they've had other hot streaks this year that have really flamed out. I think that the Braves will just barely edge them out. I mean, call me a salty Mets fan, but I don't think they're going to edge the Braves at this rate. Especially with just how how they've really just trucked right through it. The Braves have trucked their adversity this year. I don't think a hot streak from the Phillies is enough to derail them. I think, you know what? I'm going to go hot take here. Yeah. Phillies will edge out the Braves for the division lead for this National League East. Yeah. 
I know I had the Braves going into the beginning of the season. And, you know, I'll still hold on to that take. Right. Now I can be both <laughs> either scenario. Yeah. Either way, you're right. So it works out. It always works yeah. out for, for I don't me. Know. I had the Braves at the beginning of the season. I'm going to stick with the Braves. For the National League Central, the Brewers lead it. I don't believe that is not going to change. The Brewers will win this division. I think the they're 11 games is, ahead right now. Who will be in second place? Will the Cardinals or Reds be that, that team for the wild card spot? And that also goes into the discussion of the NL West. I think we can combine both these categories yeah. here. The NL West, the Giants and the Dodgers are going back and forth. They're locks at this point if they haven't already mathematically pushed their way into and the And here playoffs. comes the month of September where you're facing the teams in your division more often than not, right? You're doing more in-division rivalry games. So they're going to get some more time to play against the off, play against each other here, as well as the Padres, as well as the Rockies against the Diamondbacks. It truly is going to be something interesting to watch, but in my heart, my heart tells me that the Dodgers are going to come out on top. But for some reason, no matter what my heart says, the Giants seem to overpower that. Yeah, I, I think, I don't know. I think the Dodgers definitely, if the talent just like even wakes up a little bit more, not implying they aren't awake, obviously, but if they heat up even a little bit, then I think the Giants are going to get pushed out of that first slot in the division. But the thing is, the Giants are just kind of humming right along right now, so I don't really know what's going to derail them. I'm, I, I think that I'm going to stick with it. I think the Giants are going to take that division, and the Dodgers are probably by a game or two are going to be the wild card. I have to stay with the Dodgers, the World Series champs. I have to say that they're going to come out on top of this division and and win it here and the giants are going to take the first wild card spot but the question but the more interesting topic is who's going to be performing in that wild card game against either one of those two teams i believe that it's not going to be the padres that might be well, then, the hottest take of all yeah. i actually believe that mm. it's going to be the reds i don't think it's going to be the reds their bullpen is too way too shaky way too unreliable for them to, especially because they're going to have a series against the Cardinals coming up, so they might not even make the playoffs. Like their bullpen, their bullpen is way too unreliable. I don't really trust them down this down this home stretch. And while the Padres have underperformed, they still have bodes of talent and a much more reliable, even when it's underperformed, still a much more reliable pitching staff in general than the Reds. And I think that's what it's going to come down to because both teams have been hitting well. So I'll still take the dot, the Padres, my World Ser- my World Series pick in that last wild card spot. But to say they're going to go to the World Series at this rate is unlikely. Think about it. I, I, I believe that the Reds might edge out those two teams. It could also be the Braves yeah. in my, my Maybe. scenario. I mean, the Braves but don't really have any competition outside the like, Marlins the and the Nationals. Yeah, they're the Marlins and the Nationals. And I think the Phillies and Mets are both beneath them. So I still think, which is why I think they win the division. Honestly, I, I feel like the Phillies might have a better chance of making the playoffs than the Reds. I, I know that's a bit of a hot take. I don't believe it's, it's that hot and of it's, a take. <laughs> and I don't really like, and I and this is coming from someone who does not like the Phillies, but I do think they have a bit more reliable talent, a bit more reliable, a bit more of a reliable bullpen, which you couldn't even say two years ago. But, like, I don't know. I just think shaky bullpens are just are not conducive to winning from... Uh, lifetime as a Mets fan, I would know. Trust me. Uh, but I don't know. I, I I think the Phillies could. I I still think it's going to be the Padres because even though they do have fiercer competition in that division, 
like they still have the stats and the talent to at least compete against the Giants and Dodgers, and they can definitely win against the Rockies and Diamondbacks. Whereas I just don't even know how I would trust the bullpen of a shaky team like the Red, the shaky bullpen of a team like the Reds against any competition, because the bottom, because it's like the bottom could just fall out at any moment. Right. And I think that is going to wrap up this episode of the Two Scene Podcast. We thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the Two Scene Podcast. So potentially, I believe this is the longest episode of the history of our podcast. Might, I think it is. This could end up being the absolute longest episode <laughs> that this podcast has ever had. I mean, we're recording right now on, what is it, at an hour and 15? An hour and 16 minutes yeah. we're at right now before editing, just in case you guys were wondering <laughs> what goes into the podcast. But... With that being said, we hope that you guys do tune back in next time we speak where we finally get to talk about topics of now. <laughs> we don't have to talk about the last four we're, months. We're, we'll be finally we'll finally be up to date, which is going to be a nice feeling. And we can finally talk about current events in baseball. That will be the discussion next time that we upload, which we don't have a specific date. We don't have a specific schedule like we did earlier. We're still trying year, to figure that out. But... We know that there will be more episodes coming out, and we're very excited to talk more about baseball. And we ex are excited to see you guys once again here on Spotify and other any other platform that you guys are listening to the podcast to, such as Anchor or Google Podcast. With that being said, we thank you so much for listening to this episode, and we look forward to seeing you again on the next official episode of the Two Scene Podcast. Yeah.